thanks for listening to this sermon from Cedar Springs Church. We know life is busy and it's easy to get caught up running in so many directions. At Cedar Springs, we see you and we're with you. We also understand the feeling inside of you for something deeper. In fact, we believe God created us for those deeper things and we want to help you discover them. We want to introduce you to a life lived deeply with God and with others. If you're not already, we invite you to visit us during one of our Sunday worship services. We are all working toward taking our next step to move into deeper faith and community. So come, take your next step with us. We don't want you to settle for life as normal because you were made to live deeply. Good morning, church family. If you're new with us, my name is James Forsyth. I'm the senior pastor here, and I'm just grateful to be with you, be with you this morning. I'm grateful for God's call in my life into ministry. I, I recognize that one of the reasons for it, it was for my own welfare, for my own, for my own good. God figured he had to find some way to make sure I was in church every Sunday, and so here I am um, in church every Sunday. Um, but I'm also very grateful, not just for the call to ministry, but the call to pastor this church. Uh, this is a a beautiful church. If you're new with us, it is an imperfect church uh, and, and beautiful in that. Uh, a collection of people loved by Jesus figuring out how to respond to his love by, by following him. And uh, I am glad to be your pastor and glad to be returning to the book of Ecclesiastes for our surprisingly happy sermon series. We have reached chapter five. I encourage you to turn there with me if you, if you would. Uh, the section that we're gonna read from is actually part of a larger section that begins in verse 8 of chapter 5 and runs through to verse 12 of chapter 6 where the writer talks about the vanity, the emptiness, the meaninglessness of money, of the wealth of material possessions. And so we're going to read a section from that larger section starting in verse 10 of chapter 5 reading through to the end of chapter 5 in verse 20. So let's let's enjoy our way through this section of God's word. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is Vanity, hevel. When goods increase, they increase to eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much. But the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt. And those riches were lost in a bad venture, and he is a father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his towel that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness, in much vexation and sickness and anger. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun, few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. 
for he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Father, we are thankful for your word and we're thankful for your tenderness toward us. Right now, your, your heart toward us is love. And so, Lord, we pray that you would come once again and be our teacher, that we might understand, Lord, that the very truth that you know we need ourselves today. Uh, deal kindly with us, and we know that you will, because we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Two questions for you. First one is, um, do you remember, let's rewind a few hours, do you remember the very last thing you thought about before you fell asleep last night? What was going through your mind when those eyes started to shut and you dozed off? Maybe you were thinking about the book that you just read, or maybe you were thinking about the show that you just watched. Maybe you were thinking about what time you had to get up this morning or all the things that you had to get done today. What was it that ran through your mind before you fell asleep? And then the second question is this. um, When you woke up this morning, what was the very first thought you had then? What was the very first, as, as that sleepy haze began to lift, as you began to come into consciousness for the new day, what was the first thing you thought about? Did you maybe reach for your phone? Did you check the time? Did you think again about all that you have to get done today? What was the last thing you thought about last night and the first thing you thought about this morning? Well, I have a suggestion for you, but to get there, we're gonna have to work through our passage. The passage is actually primarily about gratitude. Talks a lot about money, but the point that the preacher ultimately drives to has to do with gratitude and this call that we would be a people who choose gratitude. Let's give you the headline up up front, the sermon in, in a sentence. Loved by Jesus, we can choose gratitude. But to make this point, the preacher first talks a lot about money and possessions. It's as if he uses money and possessions as the launching point from which to go on and make this larger point about the grateful life that we can live. And his point when it comes to money and possessions is one of those points that um, we all know to be true and yet we often tend to forget. Things we know to be true but tend to forget, you know the kind of thing I'm talking about. We know we feel better with a full night's sleep, but we tend to forget that when we're binge watching Netflix. We know we feel better when we eat right, but we tend to forget that when there are donuts in the workroom. We know it's better to be patient with our spouse, with our kids, with our friends, but we tend to forget that when the heat of the moment comes. Things we know to be true and tend to forget, and notice we tend to forget it when it matters most. We tend to forget it when it's time to go to bed, when it's time not to eat the donut, or when it's time to be patient with our loved ones. It's at that very moment when we need to remember that we tend to forget. Well, in the same way, the author is going to tell us something about money that we all know, but tend to forget. Here it is. Money won't make you happy. Money won't make you happy. He makes this point in verse 10, if you look down at the text, where he says that he who loves money will never be satisfied with money. And he who loves wealth will never be satisfied with his income. 
Now, it's important to note, isn't it, that what the writer addresses is, is, is specifically, in a nuanced way, the love of money. If you love money, it will never make you happy. You'll never be satisfied with your income, with your wealth. This echoes what we read in 1 Timothy 6 about how it is the love of money that is the root of all kinds of, of evils. Money in and of itself isn't a bad thing. Money in and of itself, in fact, is, is a gift from God that he gives to us that we might glorify and enjoy him with it. And one of the ways in which we do that, one of the ways we glorify and enjoy him is by enjoying it and the things that it can give us. First Timothy 6 said that God is a God who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. Remember, Christian, the point of the Christian life, the proof of your holiness is not how miserable you can be. God is the God of joy. Joy is in him, and giving us joy is his idea. And we glorify him when we find joy in him. And money is one of the good gifts he does, gives us in order to be able to do just that. But while it's a good gift, it brings great danger because we have a tendency to, to love it, to start to idolize it to start to think that it is the source of life. And the Bible would say, no, money is a good gift from God, but it makes a terrible lover. If you set your heart upon it, if you set your hopes upon it, if you start to think that it will make you happy, you will be sorely disappointed. In fact, it will let you down every single time. Why? Because money, Possessions, stuff, doesn't have the capacity to, to fill us up. It doesn't have the capacity that God has placed eternity in your heart. And, and stuff, money, can't, can't, fill, can't fill you up. And so if you crave money, you're always going to want just more money. And if you crave wealth, you're always going to crave more wealth because in and of itself, it's, it's like that sugary carb that's not going to fill you up. You can eat as much cotton candy as you want, and then you can always eat some more, and in the end, it's never gonna satisfy you. It's never gonna make you feel whole. John D. Rockefeller, you know the name, famous for being uh, one of the wealthiest men who, who ever lived. It made his money on oil at the end of the, the 19th century. Well, in 1937, the year of his death, his net worth was equivalent to 1.5% of the entire nation's GDP. Isn't that a staggering amount of wealth? By that percentage, he, he was richer than anyone alive today. Well, one day a reporter asked him, um, um, when it comes to money, how much money is enough? How much money is enough? Do you know his famous response? He said this, just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Now, I don't think this was his sincere belief. I think this was more a tongue-in-cheek commentary from a man who had it all, but also knew Ecclesiastes 5.10, that if you love money, it will never make you happy. If you love money, you're always going to crave just a little bit more. Just a little bit more. Now, of course, friends, in our heads, um, <laughs> the head-heart gap, right? In, in our heads, most of us know 
that just a little bit more won't make us happy. In our heads, most of us know that money won't really make us happy, or um, we at least have enough uh, kind of social shame not to say it out loud, you know? Nobody sits around the dinner table and says, you know, what, will, you know, what would make us happy in life? More money, right? No one actually kind of says that thing. We, don't, we tend not to say that out loud, but, but very often in our hearts, this just a little bit more mentality is, is ours, is ours. Jesse O'Neill, one psychotherapist, refers to it as the disease of affluenza. Affluenza. An unhealthy relationship with money where you always desire just a little bit more. And, and most of us, most of us fall prey to that disease at one point or another. Theologian Phil Reichen actually suggests that um, all Americans suffer from at least a mild case of this deadly disease. And to me, that's a little bit of a kind of oxymoron, right? Um, mild case, deadly disease. What happens if you get a mild case of a deadly disease? It kills you, right? The, 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 the disease is going to, going to kill you. And so we want to be a people who, who search out in our hearts where, where affluenza has taken hold because most of us don't necessarily want or talk about lavish, over-the-top, ridiculous John D. Rockefeller types of wealth, but most of us do have places where we wish for just a little bit more. That yeah, happiness would be, if you could finally pay off that debt, if you could finally get rid of that student loan, if you could buy that first home, if you could get the kids through college, if you could save enough for your retirement, if you could get just a little bit more, then, then happiness, happiness would come. Happiness would be found not in ridiculous wealth, but in just a little bit more. Do you see that in your life? Well, if you do, verses 11 through 17, we're gonna work through them together because they're, they're so helpful for us. They're so, they provide part of the cure to this deadly disease. Because what the author does in verses 11 through 17 is give us um, a list of reasons why money won't make you happy. A list of reasons why you don't, in fact, need just a little bit more. And I find this so helpful because what he's doing is he's giving us the reasons, uh, <laughs> he's giving us the reasons for the things that we already know to be true. We already know this, but now he's gonna give us the logic and the reason and the argument to help keep us sane in this crazy world so that we actually might remember it when we need it most. He gives us seven of them, are you ready? Seven reasons money won't make you happy. Seven reasons you don't need just a little bit more. Let's rattle through them together. First, you, money won't make you happy because point one, the more you have, the more people will come after it. Verse 11, when goods increase, they increase who eat them. Not a great verse. Okay. Friends, can we talk about all the shenanigans that's going on with the lottery just now and the billion dollar prize? Has anyone won that yet? I don't know. Um, I hear people talking about it everywhere I go. Can I, can I let, see if you win that prize? Here's what's gonna happen. Long lost family members are gonna start appearing like cockroaches out of nowhere. And a dude that you haven't spoken to in 20 years is gonna show up and claim he's your best friend. And don't forget, 
you will, you will choose to be generous to the government who will kindly request 37% of your, of your winnings. And lo and behold, what you're going to find is more and more people who appear who don't want you, they just want your stuff. More money, more problems. Point one. Point two, money won't make you happy because the more you have, the more you realize it does you no good. It does you no good. Verse 11 still, what advantage has their owner but to see his wealth with his eyes? And the more, the more you have it, the more you realize it doesn't work. It's one of those great ironies that, um, you know, very often it is actually not the mega rich who struggle with this because the mega you think, oh, if I get this amount of wealth, well, I'll be happy. But then you get that amount of wealth and you realize it doesn't make you happy. So very often those who love wealth are actually the middle and lower classes. Because there's a sense that somehow if we had it, 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 it would make us happy. But this verse says that no, it doesn't. The more in fact you get, the more you realize it does you no good. And don't you love the picture? Um, all it does for you is that you get to see it increase with your eyes. So you log on to your internet bank account and you see a bigger number than you saw last year. That's it. It doesn't fix your marriage. It doesn't bring your wayward child home. It doesn't take away that gnawing sense of loneliness or that crushing sense of depression. All it does is show you a bigger number than you saw, than you saw the day before. Reason number three, Money won't make you happy. Uh, the more you have, the more you toss and turn at night. Isn't verse 12 funny? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. So the laborer goes out and works hard with his hands all day long. And then he comes home and he spends some time with his family and he goes to bed tired. And it is good for men and women to go to bed tired. Do something with your life so that you go home to bed tired and then sleep like a baby all night. But the rich, look what he does, his full stomach. <laughs> the rich man goes out for dinner and he has one too many glasses of wine and then he comes home and he eats a whole sleeve of Oreos. And then he goes to bed and eats some Pepto-Bismol. Because acid reflux is the disease of the wealthy, not of the poor. And so consider this great irony. You spend your money and your resources buying Pepto-Bismol to cure you from the things that you spent your money and your resources on. One commentator puts it this way. He says, consider our modern exercise machines and health clubs for it is one of our human absurdities to pour out money and effort just to undo the damage of money and ease. It won't make you happy. Fourth reason money won't make you happy. I'm getting serious now. Because the more you have, verse 13, the more you can hurt yourself by holding on to it. The more you can hurt yourself by holding on to it. There is a grievous evil that I've seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt. So think about the Bible's teaching on money and possessions. They're a good gift from God that you can use to glorify and enjoy him and enjoy the things of this world. But with these gifts come dangers. And if you 
make an idol out of these things, if you start to love these things, they can be deeply dangerous to your soul. They can bring you hurt. There is something spiritually corrosive about money. One old, old commentator puts it this way. He says, riches make the rich proud, secure, and in love with the world. Draw away their hearts from God and duty and make it very difficult for them to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Nay, help to shut them out of it. Remember Jesus said that it's harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than it, than it is for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle. Remember how the the rich young ruler was unable to come to Jesus because he was unwilling to give up the material possessions that that he had? The Bible says, be be careful with your money because it does something to your heart and it can make you proud and self-reliant and self-sufficient in a way that is directly opposed to the grace of God. Because God, God opposes the proud he gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to any who think that they're a mess. He, he, gives, he gives grace to, to any who, who think that they need his help. He, he, gives, he gives grace to, to anyone, no, no matter how much of a disaster they've made of, of, of their life. But he can't give grace to the proud because they don't come to him for it. And so be careful. Has, are you, is your money doing you spiritual harm? Fifth reason, money won't make you happy. The more you have, the more you have to lose. Verse 14, riches were lost in a bad venture, and he is father of a son. He has nothing in his hand. Uh, The preacher changes tone here, and suddenly we're, we're doing a miniature case study of a man who had it all and then lost it all. Had all of this wealth, lost all of this wealth. An investment went bad, the stock market crashed, Um, It nearly killed him to accumulate this wealth, and now it nearly kills him to lose it all. And worst of all, he's a family man, and now he has nothing left to give to his son. The Bible would say that money has a way of giving you a false sense of security. You you can put your trust, you, you look at your 401k, you look at your savings account, and you feel like you're okay. But that security is, that's hevel. That's a breath, that's a, that's a vapor, that's a mist. That's not real. You're, you're, you're tying yourself to, to something that isn't gonna hold you if you fall because you could wake up tomorrow and it could be all gone. Money doesn't make you happy. Okay, two more reasons. Money won't make you happy, number six, because the more you have, the more you'll leave behind. Isn't verse 15 graphic? As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again naked as he came and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. First Timothy 6, again, it's kind of the New Testament counterpart to this, to this passage. Puts it this way, for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. I think I prefer the Ecclesiastes version though. Naked you came, naked you'll leave. Naked in, naked out. And whatever you accumulated in the meantime, you can't take any of it with you. So insert all the preacher cliches about, you know, you've never seen a U-Haul being dragged by a hearse, okay? Um, But we know this to be true, right? What are you gonna do with all your stuff when you die? Answer, 
nothing. <laughs> the more you have, the more you lose, okay? And so with all of this, he summarizes a seventh reason why one won't make you happy in verse 17 by telling us that the more you have, there's a very real sense in which the less you have. <laughs> the more you have, the less you have. Moreover, all his days, the rich man eats in darkness. Um, he eats in dark- He's worked all day. So he doesn't get home until it's dark at night, and then, then, then he has his dinner. Not only does he eat in darkness, but he does so with much vexation and sickness. Hmm. Um, there's an anxiety to life about this constant rat race, this constant grind for more that brings anxiety to the soul that manifests in sickness in the body. You know, our, our mental health impacts our physical, our physical health. And so he has vexation and sickness, but also anger. Life becomes bitter, not sweet. Derek Kidner, who I've quoted so many times throughout this series, says this, if anything is worse than the addiction money brings, it is the emptiness that it leaves. Man with eternity in his heart needs better nourishment than this. Needs better nourishment than this. Dear, when you have been created with a soul that is made in the image of God, and Ecclesiastes 3.11 told us that he has placed eternity in your heart, and stuff just can't fill that up. You are far too beautiful a creature to be satisfied with trinkets and toys. They can just never fill that hole. And so when we seek to fill ourselves with these things, we always end up disappointed. Money won't make you happy. There's a bunch of reasons for it. We get seven of them in our text. But remember, I said that's actually not the main point of the passage. (laughs) Yeah, he talks about money, and he says it won't make you happy, but he does all that to, to try and convict us, to try and persuade us, to try and compel us that, friends, there is a better way to live. There is a better way to live, and it's this, choose gratitude. Sermon in a sentence, you ready? Stop striving for just a little bit more and start being grateful for things as they are. Stop striving for a little bit more, start being grateful, start to enjoy things as they are. Don't always be discontent that your life isn't some way. Instead, be content that your life is is this way. Let me read verses 18 through 20 that that make this point to you. And as I read them, let them wash over you as as the kind of beautiful life, the beautiful invitation that God offers you. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting, uh, the Hebrew word for fitting here is is the word uh, beautiful. What I have seen to be good and and beautiful is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him. For this is his lot. Remember that phrase, his lot. Verse 19, everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. Verse 20, for he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. 
So suddenly the attention of our text shifts back to God. And with this shift, from our perspective, we get to the lot that the Lord has given us. We're called to remember God and remember the lot that he has given us. And do you see how verse 19 describes how he gives us two gifts? First of all, it says that he gives us the, kind of the obvious things like the gifts themselves. He gives us food to eat and drink to drink and he gives us meaningful work and he gives us some measure of wealth and possessions. He gives us the gifts, but isn't it profound what it also says? Not only does he give us the gifts, he also gives us the power to enjoy those gifts. Hold that tension with me for a second. Isn't it interesting? He gives the gifts and he gives the power to enjoy the gifts. So apparently these are two separate things. That the gifts themselves don't automatically carry with them the, the capacity, the ability to enjoy those gifts. One commentator put it, puts it this way. He says, the world that God created is full of many rich gifts, but the power to enjoy them does not lie in the gifts themselves. The ability to enjoy wealth or family or friendship or food or work or sex or any other good gifts comes only from God. So God gives us the gifts and God gives us the capacity to enjoy them. And I just wonder, dear ones, this morning, is this what we are lacking? That God has given you gifts, but you don't have the power to enjoy them? If so, gratitude is the key. It becomes the spiritual discipline that enables us to be happy, that enables us to enjoy the good gifts that he has given, to enjoy our lot and live a happy life. Blaise Pascal, philosopher from the 17th century, writes really powerfully on this point, and I want to share an extended section with you. Listen to this. He says, first, um, we... We never keep to the present. Um, you and I, we tend, um, we tend to have a hard time living in the present moment, living where our feet, our feet are. Why? Because we anticipate the future as if we found it too slow in coming and we're trying to hurry it up. So we think happiness is on the other side of a thing that's not yet happened and we want that thing to hurry up and happen so that we can be happy. Or perhaps we find it hard to live in the present because we're recalling the past as if to stay its too rapid flight. You look back to joyful days of yesterday and you want to be able to kind of hold on to them somehow even though they're disappearing in your hands. We are so unwise that we wander about in times that do not belong to us. You can't live in the future, you can't live in the past. We do that instead of thinking about the only time that does belong to us, the present. We are so vain that we dream of times that are not and blindly flee the only one that is. And so he continues, let each of us examine his thoughts. Isn't it a fascinating thing about hum being human that you can think about the things you're thinking about? Like we have the capacity to think about how we're thinking about the things that we are thinking about. It's a beautiful thing. Pascal says, think about the things you're thinking about and think about how you're thinking about those things, or more simply, examine your thoughts. You will find them wholly concerned with the past or with the future. 
wholly concerned with the past or with the future. We almost never think of the present. And if we do think of it, it's only to see how it shed light on our plans for the future. The present is never our end. The past and present are our means. Typically for us, the future alone is our end. Here's the key sentence. Are you ready? Thus, we never actually live, but hope to live. And since we are always planning to be happy, it is inevitable that we should never be so. Because we're always planning to be happy, it is inevitable that we should never be so. Because we are always looking for just a little bit more, for some kind of change, for some kind of event, for some kind of development to take place in order for us to be happy. Because we are looking to some version of tomorrow, tomorrow never comes and happiness is never found. But the Bible would say that happiness comes when we find joy in the present, when we choose gratitude for our lot. When we stop striving for just a little bit more and start to enjoy the way things are. So you have a terrible day. Picture with me that the worst day you've had this week, the worst day you've had this month, your boss yelled at you or your kids yelled at you. Tyrants from above, tyrants from below. And a sale fell through and you got caught late at work, and you're on your way home and you realize you haven't eaten all day, and so you do the most depressing of things, which is get your dinner from the gas station, right? And you get home, and you're miserable, and it's easy to find 10,000 reasons to complain. But instead, you choose gratitude. (laughs) This soggy burrito, this, you know, big gulp. They don't taste great, but they're getting the job done. And you get home and find that you have a roof over your head. You might even have loved ones tucked up in bed. And children are never more beautiful than when they're asleep. And you collapse on the beat-up couch that probably does need to be replaced, but you find that it's comfortable and you're able to take a breath. And you choose to think of the 10,000 reasons you have to give thanks. You choose gratitude. And look what happens when you do that. Isn't verse 20 wild? The Bible's full of things that are too good to be true, too, too good for us to have made up. They could only come from a God of love. And here's one of them, verse 20. If you do this, you will not much remember the days of your life because God will keep you occupied with joy in your heart. Time flies when you're having fun. That's in the Bible. And how much more for us as Christians for whom the best is always yet to come. Because we're not just a people who can celebrate the goodness of some material gifts. We're also a people who celebrate the gift of, of Jesus, who was rich, yet for our sake became poor, so that we, through his poverty, might become rich. That <laughs> whether you've been rich or not in this world, you'll be rich in the world to come. 
not with the fluffy, superficial, stupid health and wealth things of materialism, but with all the blessings and and riches that are found in, in Christ, that we are loved today, that your, your sins can be forgiven, that your eternity can be secure, and so in the meantime, we can be a people who, who are grateful, who choose gratitude. Okay, time is up. How about this? How about we try that this week? Let's do this. When you, when you lie down in bed tonight, tonight, Close your eyes and think of three things you're grateful for. And chew them over and turn them over until you're asleep. And then tomorrow morning, before you reach for that phone, rehearse those three things in your heart and in your soul. Choose gratitude. Don't Just strive for a little bit more. Be grateful, enjoy things as they are. Because you're a people who have abundant gifts. And most of all, you're a people who have our Christ. Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you for the the fullness of your word. (laughs) Partly the challenge of it, oof. This call not to be sucked into the things that we so quickly get sucked into and, and find ourselves chasing after superficialities of money and wealth. And yet, Lord, not just, a, not just a rebuke, not just a challenge, but also a deep and profound encouragement that, Lord, um, we, can be, we can be grateful in this life for all the good gifts we have and supremely for our, our Christ. So as we wait that, as we await the, the lavish future that is ours, would we be a people who choose gratitude? In Jesus' name, amen.